0: Yeah, I did a diagram of love actually recently and like over half of the relationships in that movie are between like a man and a woman he's never spoken to.
1: Welcome to You're Wrong About, the podcast where we reveal that the lies we believe the most are the stories we tell ourselves every day.
0: Hmm.
1: I fucked that up. (laughs) That was supposed to be a Stephen Jay Gould quote. Something about how we get the stories the wrongest that we tell ourselves the most.
0: Yeah, yes, I think that's true. As I got to my friend's house where I'm now recording this episode, she was like, what are you talking about today? And I was like, sexting. And she was like, ooh, sexting's having a moment, isn't it? And I was like, (laughs) I feel like sexting's been having a long moment for 12 years. Yes. And this is definitely a consistent narrative, although maybe there's a archetypal evolution that I'm very sure. excited
1: about the subject matter. I am Michael Hobbs. I'm a reporter for the Huffington Post. I am Sarah Marshall. I am working on a book about the satanic panic. And today we have a special guest, Amy Hassanoff. Hello, Amy.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: Amy is a researcher at the University of Colorado, Denver, and the author of Sexting Panic. Yeah. And she got in touch with us about a week ago, two weeks ago, after she listened to our episode for Halloween last year about the Rainbow Party Panic, and she pointed out that we are in the midst of a teenage sex moral panic- about sexting that has been going on for as long as any of us have been alive. Well... At least of sexting age. As long as any of us have been legal sexting age, this has been happening.
0: I love the long panics. (laughs) Well, thanks for having
2: me. I'm really sad that I've almost listened to your entire back catalog. Oh Oh my gosh. It's like, it's going to be over and I'll have to wait like a normal person for each new episode.
0: I feel like I was just old enough when I started having texting capabilities that I managed to miss this one because I like first was able to text like my freshman year of college. Okay. So I feel like growing up like right before the camera phone was super a thing leaves me in the dark for just like what the hell has been going on since then. So So you've never sent a sext, Sarah? Uh, I can neither (laughs) confirm nor deny that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say this. I've never sent a teen. I've never been a a sexting minor. How about you, Michael? Tell me about your sexts.
1: I am a gay man in his 30s. (laughs) I mean, I think we can all be clear statistically speaking, I am extremely likely to have sent and received one or two sexts in my dating life. Mm -hmm. I am a great defender of sexting. I think sexting is Hmm. great. It's a way of flirting early in the relationship. It's a way of keeping in touch with your partner when you're on a business trip or whatever. It's mm-hmm. sexy and fun, and I've always thought that it was fine. Me and Amy were talking the other day about how we're both defenders of Anthony Weiner, hmm. At least in the early, like, stage one Anthony Weiner, back when all the sexting that he was doing was consensual. Stage one Weiner, Yeah, stage one <laughs> Weiner. My, like, formative thing with this is I remember this podcast that I listened to, like a very popular politics podcast, was talking about Anthony Weiner way before the sexting of the 15-year-old came out. And they yeah. were saying, like oh, well, you know, he's obviously a sociopath, he's obviously needs help, he's obviously really troubled. And it's like, is he? Like, it seems like lots of people are sending consensual sexts to -hmm. their partners or people they're online dating. And it seems like a a relatively normal thing to do at this point.
0: I think of that being sold to the public as something that's like gross or predatory or embarrassing, as opposed to just like a way that people need to communicate. And now this is the best way to do it.
1: Right. Amy, is that what you tell the teens when you go to schools to talk to them about sexting?
2: Not exactly. But that that's definitely kind of one of the implicit messages, um, because okay. there's technically a legal risk in trying to advocate safer sexting. Hmm. You know, I, I sort of heard from lawyers who are sort of giving me advice that if you sort of advocate for safer sexting, that's basically like telling teenagers, well, here's how to do um, heroin more safely. So you're sort of like advocating that they commit a felony in a way that's safer. So I don't go there with people under 18. But when I am talking to um, high school students, I'll usually just have them, you know, spend a while thinking about the the risks and the benefits of sexting. And what's kind of radical about that, even though it sounds very simple, is that they've never really been asked to think or talk about the benefits. It's only Mm -hmm. just been the risks because they're usually just getting that sort of just
0: don't do it, just don't sext. Just say no.
1: Yeah, it always works.
0: This is your brain on sexting. Basically, no, that, that message is just like so common.
2: It's either they were just told nothing at all. And more commonly, they were told, well, just don't do it. It's illegal, which of course it is illegal. Yet a third of them... 16- and 17-year-olds are going to do it anyway, no matter what we tell them. It's still illegal, but some of them are becoming sexually active, and then, of course, sexting is just how people communicate with their partners or would-be partners. And among young adults, the numbers are even higher. Like some surveys will be like over 50%, over 70%. Depends how you ask the question and who you're asking. But yeah. this is not like a behavior that is just done by like a couple weird people. Like it's, right. it's pretty common at this point.
1: Right. This is not deviant behavior. This is no normal behavior and not sexting is statistically speaking the deviant choice. Well, I don't know that it's, like, deviant. I mean, it is still risky, so I... I'm... just want to be on record as saying people who don't sext are deviant. I just want, <laughs> I just want that to be crystal clear.
2: I don't know that that's fair, but uh, I see what you're saying.
1: So my understanding <laughs> of the definition of sexting is you basically stand in front of a mirror naked... You take a photo of yourself in the mirror and then you text it to someone you're chatting to online or your partner or or a random person on the internet, right? Like whether it's consensual or not, I guess that the term still applies. So is it sexting if like you're only shirtless, but you're in your underwear? Is it like, what are, the, what are the technicalities of the definition?
0: Are we applying this only to photos or if I'm sending someone, you know, something describing my feelings and desires, does that fall under the umbrella?
1: Like my boobs are really big right now. <laughs>
0: Your understanding of straight sex uh, is—I have no idea what straight
1: people's sex to each other. Yes, that's what.
0: Yes,
1: (laughs) my boobs are the biggest they've ever been. That seems like a—that seems like a cute thing to send.
0: Yes, my boobs are so big for you right now. Exactly.
2: Yeah, so technically sexting could be either um, messages or pictures, but it's not like, it's a word that's been recently invented. So there's like, you can look on, you can look in the dictionary for a definition, but it's just kind of, it's used in both ways um, to mean images or images or text messages. You know, it probably should be of a sexual nature for it to be sexting. I think like shirtless in your underwear that's probably sexting. I mean, it's, I, I would think of it as like, would this photo be embarrassing if your parents saw it? It's like PG-13 sexting. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. And then it also should be personal, so it shouldn't be something that was produced as a commercial product. It doesn't doesn't really seem like sexting if you're just downloading porn off the internet and sending it to your
1: friend or your partner. Right. Mm-hmm. Does it have to be self-taken? Like, if some creep is taking photos of someone else in a locker room, those aren't sexts, right? That's just surveillance no I I wouldn't call it sexting right so it's a photo of yourself always
2: yeah I would say it's photos of yourself but at the same time like what if you are with your partner and they are taking photos of you you know consensually as part of a something kind of sexual situation that might be still sexting because then your partner has
1: photos of you that they took of you what are some examples of sexting behavior examples yeah I'm pretending to be dumb about this, but like, <laughs> I'm, not, I know what sexting is, but like, for our listeners, what are the reasons why people send sex to each other? Like- oh, what are the
2: reasons? So there are many reasons someone might sext. Basically, in a broader sense, it's just like any other sex act. They'll do it because they find it pleasurable. They do it because they like it. They do it because they think it's fun, because they think it's flirty. Um, mm-hmm. so sometimes people in, you know, a long distance relationship might send each other sexy photos, just like you might have phone sex. Sometimes people will send photos when they're starting a
1: new relationship, though that's more risky. I have only sent risky sexts. Yeah, no, I mean... My sexting (laughs) practices have not been great.
2: Yeah, no, that's fair. But also, like, (laughs) as a male human, you're... The repercussions are going to be different. Absolutely. You. Yes, yeah.
1: absolutely true. Yes. And if
2: someone who's like already out, there's like not a huge risk that you're going to be outed by yeah. sexting with other men. Right. Which yeah. is a, one of the biggest risks for men who are not out. Is like, oh, oh right. this yeah, outs yeah, yeah. them. Right? right. For women, the risk is more just, oh, you are human female with sexual agency, that must be bad.
1: It's like the complete ruin of your life.
2: It definitely can be. That's the problem with revenge porn.
1: Whereas for me, if my sex leak, they'll be like, well, Mike looked good in his 20s. That's like the only...
2: (laughs) I mean, basically, yes.
1: I'm exaggerating, but not that much, right? Like that the consequences are going to be completely different. Exactly. So that's, that's the definition. So where does the panic originate? When did we hear about it for the first time?
2: Yeah. So I think basically I would date it to the release of this um, survey that was run by Cosmo Girl in 2008 (laughs) called (laughs) Sex and Tech that found that a non-trivial amount of teenagers were sexting and the word had been used in sort of isolated instances hmm. through the 2000s, like Tiger Woods, um, if you remember that scandal was um, mm-hmm. sexting. Oh,
1: I didn't know that.
2: And that was like really a conversation about, you know, celebrities and their infidelity. Okay. The, the panic about teenagers really started in 2008 with the release of that survey, finding hmm. that, oh, all these teen girls are, are sexting and this is something we need to be worried about and concerned about.
0: But Cosmo Girl was the one that conducted this
2: study, though? The sex and tech survey was Cosmo Girl and the national campaign to prevent
0: teen and unplanned pregnancy. This is an interesting bedfellows. Yeah. I had no idea that any of the Cosmo family were doing their own studies, aside from having people write in with seemingly made-up stuff. Because <laughs> I grew I mean, speaking of, like, moral panics, I grew up reading adult Cosmo, and just, like, the things I learned that you're supposed to do to straight men's penises were just like (laughs) so it was like they had to come up with a new thing every week and it just got so baroque. I know the ice cubes like nobody wants that. It was like sex tips written by like an alien who had learned about sex by watching a bunch of Mickey Rourke movies.
2: (laughs) I mean I have to assume that like they don't actually expect you to use
1: the tips it's more just like a way to sort of read erotic fiction. It's like watching recipe videos on YouTube you're not gonna make those.
0: It was exactly like yeah it's like watching all the tasty videos you're like like, I'm not really going to yeah. put a bunch of crescent rolls inside of a deep dish pizza pan and fill it with <laughs> mozzarella. But like, it's interesting to think about it.
1: But then I feel like the the way these moral panics, there's always like a little genesis seed. But then the ramp up is always sort of where the panic really happens, right? Like when the when the idea gets popularized and stripped of all of its nuance and methodological complexity, So where was that? Was it, like, was Dr. Phil involved? Like, what was the ramp to becoming a moral panic for sexting?
0: I would put really good odds on Dr. Phil being involved (laughs) just based on nothing. It seems like the kind of thing he'd get his his fingers into.
1: Yeah, no, Dr. Phil was involved... That's so when your cynical assumptions get confirmed it's always so depressing.
2: <laughs> but I don't I wouldn't I don't know that he's like the major player. Okay. I think this survey was really what launched it into sort of national prominence and also it started getting discussed in the UK and Australia. There was a number of sort of key incidents that sort of amplified the panic about it. One of them was the suicide of a girl who was basically sexting with someone and then this partner, a boy from her class, basically like distributed the photos and she was sort of, of course, blamed and slut-shamed for it and sort of told by her school that she had done something wrong and there was basically no consequences for the the boy. And so she sort of suffered from bullying at school and slut shaming and sort of ostracized by her peers and ended up ending her own life by suicide. And then of course this became a big media story very briefly. And so this was sort of associating with all of the risks, right, about sexting is like, Basically, the consequences for sexting are, you
1: will die. (laughs) Because the moral impetus is always on women in these things to do something differently. Oh, absolutely. It's never like, if you're a boy, delete them immediately after you receive them. Or never, ever, ever show them to anyone else. Like... The actual moral problem in that whole scenario is the boy that knew the kind of damage that would have to a high school girl decided to do it anyway.
0: Or the school full of grown-ups who yeah. can be like, maybe we shouldn't shame this teenage girl and yeah. act judgmental about the fact that she possesses a sexuality.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's like what the whole panic about sexting is, is that we're constantly very, very like uncomfortable with the... The evidence that sexting provides that, like, teen girls Mm. have sexual agency. And Mm. so they're making these choices to sexualize themselves, right? Um, Which, like, we're totally okay with if it's, like, an advertisement for jeans. But if, like, girls create sexual images of themselves... That means that like we need to panic and that they're total sluts and that we have to like teach them a lesson and like make this illegal to make sure that they don't do it again. You know, we have like so many sexualized images of women and girls and everyone's like, yeah, that's fine. That's for commercial purposes. That's for like selling cars. Like we're, we're cool with that because that's not like female sexual agency. That's just objectification, which like is not a problem at all.
0: Right. And also if girls are aware of their sexuality or their own appearances, then they might develop some sense of their own power, which seems like it's too dangerous to bear.
1: Yes. but Amy, what are the other what are the other events on this path that contributed to it? The
2: other events that were part of the sort of early sexting panic was um, this court case that made it to a third circuit court in 2010. And what had happened was uh, a couple girls were at a sleepover party and had taken some photos of themselves. In sort of various states of not being totally dressed and one involves like someone who just got out of the shower and had like a towel, maybe I think only around the bottom half. Um, so mm-hmm. she was like topless in this towel and another one was like a girl in her bra, I think. Basically, like, the photos got passed around at school. Hmm.
0: Uh,
2: A bunch of parents got a letter from the district attorney saying, quote, your child has been identified in a police (laughs) investigation involving the possession and or dissemination of child pornography. Oh, my God. So most parents agreed to basically, like, a a plea deal that involved, like, an education program and six months of probation and random drug testing. Was prosecution on the table or, like, some kind of a, a sentence? Yeah, I think he basically threatened to prosecute but I don't think he actually pressed charges. Wow. Um, he just sent this letter, right? And so he used the letter as like this leverage to say, okay, if you agree to complete this education program and serve six months of probation, including random drug testing, then I will not press charges. So he was just kind of one of those... Deferred prosecution agreements, yeah. Exactly. So most of the students and their parents agreed to this deal, but three students, uh, and of course their parents really, got the ace. ACLU involved, and they were trying to basically resist having to do this. You know, the ACLU was successful in getting a restraining order against this district attorney Hmm. preventing him from filing child pornography charges. Wow. Their main argument was that the photos didn't actually meet the definition of child pornography. Hmm. So child pornography has to depict a sex act occurring or a lascivious focus on the genitals. Hmm. And none of the photos actually had either of those things, so they oh. did have a girl who was topless, but that doesn't count as a lascivious focus on genitals.
1: Yes. This is one of those, like, let me Google that for you cases.
2: Mm. Oh, I know. And prosecutors do this all the time because they just see a sexual image of a child And they'll sort of say to the parents and the teen, like, this is child pornography. And if they don't have a good lawyer, they don't know. And so they're just Mm -hmm. freaked out and they just agree to whatever deal is being offered because who wants a child pornography charge? Some teens have, of course, like been ending up like on sex offender registries for sexting because they've created or disseminated child pornography.
1: The idea of conflating child pornography with two teenagers flirting with each other through photos they take in the bathroom mirror seems wildly inappropriate, right? Like they're two completely different things with different purposes, being done by different people. I mean, they're just not the same thing.
0: And this sort of logical Mobius strip of like, we have to punish you really harshly for doing this terrible thing, which is creating and distributing child pornography of yourself. Yeah. And that child pornography is in my understanding of it in my moral universe, primarily abhorrent, because it is so abusive to its subjects. Right. And so it feels like there's a contradiction just baked into that.
2: Yeah. And some of the like legal scholars who are more on the conservative end of the spectrum will say we have to make sexting illegal. Because if we don't, We will create a source of legal image, sexual images of children that will fuel the child pornography and abuse market. So the presumption is that if adults can see images of children that are sexual, that are even legally and consensually produced,
0: Mm -hmm. that
2: will incite them to abuse. And I think like there's not a lot of clear evidence that that's how child abuse works, that you do it Mm -hmm. because you've seen sexual images of children rather than there is a lot of evidence that it's about abusing a power dynamic. Right. And and really child pornography is a fairly recent invention. I mean, it didn't not no pornography existed before film existed, right? But child sexual abuse is not a new phenomenon. It's not right. like we didn't have any child sexual abuse or ch- sexual violence or rape before you know, pornography exists in any form. Like this is not a new problem. Mm-hmm. You know, this assumption that well, we can't have these images out there is, I think, like well intentioned as these kind of laws and policies often are. But at the same time, like when a third of 16 and 17 year olds are sexting, regardless, like what does it actually do to make it illegal? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. What it does is it makes it more victim blaming when a privacy violation happens. Because then Mm -hmm. if a privacy violation happens, you can just say to both the boy and the girl oh, you both did something wrong. You both did something illegal. When what happened was the girl sends the photo to the boy, they break up, and then he sends it out to all of his friends because he's a jerk. So the like, school authorities and the law can say, oh, you both did something wrong.
1: Right. It's a sledgehammer. Yeah. You're just going in and saying, well, everybody involved in this act must exactly. have done something wrong without looking at where the actual moral right. implications are.
0: Well, and it's also right. in the long tradition of, you know, holding women, and in this case, holding teenage girls responsible for any of the damage or violence that their physical being might attract to them, right? That like, you need to control yourself to such a degree that, you know, no one has any reason to, to hurt you or assault you or humiliate you. And then, If you keep things under control, then then no one will have to hurt
1: you. Right. Have there been a lot of these cases? I mean, these cases tend to make it in the media, but is there an iceberg of just routine prosecutions of teenagers for this sort of stuff underneath it?
2: That's a great question, and I wish I had better data on it. There was a study that came out 2009 or 2010 that showed that um, a significant proportion, like something around 10%, of child pornography prosecutions for a certain period of time were of teens who are consensually sexting with each oh my other. God. So I don't know what has been happening in the 10 years since then. Right. My sort of anecdotal impression is that what happens is child pornography charges, just like this case in Pennsylvania, are sort of used as a specter for prosecutors Mm. to like get teenagers to do what they want. The Mm. other thing that's changed since 2009 is that most states have passed really ineffective and unfair misdemeanor laws to address sexting. So um, Mm. the majority of states have these now. People sort of realized quickly that child pornography charges are a bit excessive for sexting. And they, you know, it's easy to sort of have sympathy, especially for like teenage boys who are sort of caught committing privacy violations and then the local prosecutor wants to charge them for child pornography because there is no other charge. Hmm. And people are like, well, he did something bad, but it shouldn't be child pornography because that's a felony and it's terrible. Oh,
1: okay. So you want to create like an intermediate thing.
2: Yes. So a lot of states in the time between 2008 and now have passed these new New misdemeanor laws about sexting, which in theory are better because child pornography obviously is a ridiculous charge for a minor creating an image of themselves. But the problem with the misdemeanor laws is that they still don't distinguish between consensual sexting and privacy violations. So it's still just illegal for everyone. So you have the same like slut shaming logic of like whenever anyone finds out about sexting, it's usually because there's like been a privacy violation. Right. Because like most of the time people are sexting and no one ever finds out about it because they just keep it on their phone. They delete it and no one ever sees it.
0: And it's like how you never hear about the good acid trips. Right. You only ever hear. about the the guy in the news who exactly. jumped off a building because he thought he could like, if sexting yeah. goes well, then it's never anyone else's business.
2: Yes, exactly. So so now we have a, a lot of these states have misdemeanor laws, which I think prosecutors are using those now instead because, you know, I don't think they're going to have a lot of community support for these felony laws right. unless someone is doing something extremely egregious.
1: I mean, that's some mm-hmm. improvement, but it's not yeah. good.
2: It's an improvement except that what worried me about it at the time and still does to this day, is that because the misdemeanor charge can be pretty minor, then the prosecutor might be feeling empowered to apply it to everyone. Because if you have a case where a girl sends a photo to a boy and he later distributes it, it's like literally absurd to apply a felony child pornography charge to the girl, for sure, but also to the boy, right? Because the level of harm is probably not so high that it should be a felony. Right. At the same time, when you have a misdemeanor charge, if it's pretty minor, it's easier for the prosecutor to say, well, everyone was doing something wrong.
0: Right. Misdemeanors are like impulse buy stuff, aren't exactly. they? It's just like, you know, why not? I kind of need gum. <laughs>
2: yeah, Every all these teens were doing something they shouldn't have been doing because it's child pornography, but now we have this misdemeanor charge. And I don't have like solid data or evidence on that this is happening more. But mm-hmm. this is my strong suspicion is when you have like a lesser charge, you're more likely right. to apply it. So mm-hmm. it might have been better to just keep it as child pornography. And then prosecutors would have been scared off from actually using it because mm-hmm. it's so oh, harsh.
1: Okay. How do you feel about laws criminalizing the revenge porn aspect of this? Hmm. Because morally speaking, it is appalling to yeah. take a naked image of someone else, whether or not they're a teenager, and mm-hmm. distribute it. How do you feel about criminalizing that?
2: I think it's probably better that the laws exist than not, but mm-hmm. the problem the problem with revenge porn laws is the same problem that we have with all the laws that apply to sexual violence, is that, like, people don't usually report. Then, like, prosecutions tend to be they tend to unfold in a discriminatory way, right? So we have, like, who gets actually prosecuted in cases of sexual assault. If you look at the data, it's like, if the victim is white and the perpetrator is black, like, the rates of prosecution are way higher than Uh. for anything else. Mm -hmm. If the victim is a black woman, the prosecution rates are way lower. And so you have this really discriminatory system That already kind of doesn't work with sexual assault, right? Like conviction rates are super low, reporting rates are super low. And then at the same time, these laws don't necessarily serve the interests of survivors of sexual violence. So... The main problem is that the perpetrator is usually someone you know, and that's the case with sexual violence, of course, but it's also the case with revenge porn. Mm -hmm. It's slightly more likely to be a stranger from the internet with revenge porn for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And so then you have all the same problems with sexual violence laws, which is... Do you want to send your maybe ex-boyfriend who you're still sort of in love with to jail for 10 years?
1: Oh, right. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Or
2: who's just a member of your
0: community. and
2: Right. Or yeah. someone who's a prominent member of your community or just like someone who is loved and respected by your friends. And so if you send that person to jail for 10 years, you're going to be the pariah in the community. And this mm, is the problem right. with um, child sexual abuse, too, is that it's usually someone who has some um, very close relationship to the family, if not a father, a stepfather, etc., what does it mean to send your stepfather, who might be the sole income earner, right. to jail for ten years? Right. It was so much easier when it was Satanists doing all these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think revenge porn has the same pro- – those laws about revenge porn have the same problems, is hmm. that if the laws are super harsh, right, it's like people don't want to use them because you still have a relationship with this person. I mean, the people that we, yeah. that harm us, have a, we have a relationship to them. Yeah. It's so rare that it's actually just strangers right. that we just like, yeah, lock them up for 30 years. I don't care.
1: But you also want a law for deterrence, right? Otherwise, presumably, if we believe the theories of deterrence, then that behavior would happen more.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we believe those theories. That's a big if. (laughs) It's as big as my boobs when I'm sexing someone I care about. (laughs) I mean that is a big if
2: because especially with the sexual violence laws i mean if you look at the stats from rain they estimate that like i can't remember one or three percent of of sexual assaults are actually convicted Mm -hmm. so essentially like is that a deterrent right if 95 to 98 percent of the time you can rape someone and get away with it essentially is the law are the laws against rape actually a deterrent i mean i don't know right Mm -hmm. and i think like if rape is going to be illegal, like, revenge porn should be illegal. That's at least consistent, right? But I think, like, both laws and the whole criminal justice system architecture around those laws, like, they both just suck. Right.
0: Yeah, so why do you think that we have chosen to impose felony charges on teenage girls before we have been willing to talk to them about what feels good to them and how to get it? Like, why do you think we swerved so much on this one?
2: Yeah, so, like... Are you kind of asking, like, why is patriarchy a thing?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start from the beginning. In Babylon.
2: <laughs> all right. It, with sexting, it's like, clearly, I think we're just importing all these sort of sexist ideas about, mm-hmm. about women and girls and sexuality, right? And we're we're importing all of this slut-shaming that we have so much baggage about. I mean, in that sense, it's not surprising at all that we our responses to sexting would be basically terrible because we want girls to be like basically sort of the gatekeepers of sexuality who are just mm-hmm. able to sort of say no to the boys. And that's kind of our our plan for preventing unwanted pregnancies and STDs among, among teens is just like convince girls that they need to say no better.
0: You have to be an immovable object to stop the unstoppable force, basically, because the unstoppable totally. force isn't going to handle itself in any significant no, way. No,
2: exactly. I mean, I think this is the narrative that that we sort of give to girls especially is that like men's sexual desires and violence is just this inevitable force and your job is to say no. But that's like a pretty impoverished version of sexual agency, right? Because if all you can say is no, then you then you have no option to say yes, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's not actually agency. That's just you're supposed to say no until you don't. And then you've failed.
0: I feel like one of the things that we, one of the patterns that I see over and over again, as we do this show is that the untrammeled greed culture of American capitalism are sort of the patriarchal values that allow for rape to be seen as an inevitable part of, of male sexuality, to name just two, although these are recurring ones that, you know, this is the way it is. This is nature and if you are victimized by these things and it is your problem and you're the one who has to lock yourself down and avoid being victimized and then that way society as we know it america as we know it sort of american manhood that can stay how it is that's inevitable everyone else has to change to accommodate that that just protects us over and over again from being like can we make men suck less like they would be happier if they were nicer, and like, consensual sex is great. (laughs) Actually, you know, just it feels like this is a, this is sexually occurring thing.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the the models of masculinity that we have are, of course, like bad for women, because rape and murder, but like, they're also bad for men, because like, they have this sort of, all these limitations on the type of emotions that they're like allowed to feel that are culturally sanctioned, right? Like the only one is anger. Like men aren't really supposed to feel sad or afraid.
0: That's why I love the new Avengers movie so much. That thing is like all (laughs) hugging.
2: And so then that's really like emotionally stunting.
0: And then your sexuality has to be a form of anger as opposed to anything else.
2: Right? Like it can't be vulnerability because like masculinity is about dominance. It's not about communion or communication or mutuality or respect. It's about dominance, right? And it's about everything that's not feminine. And of course, like feeling sadness or fear is feminine yeah you know people hear about like oh patriarchy feminism gender you're saying like men have it easy and they have no problems and that it's it's like oh we need to like get rid of men and it's like no the problem is gender right the problem is this binary construction of like this gender behaves in this way and this gender behaves in this other way and never the twain shall meet
0: (laughs) And that men under patriarchy are the most miserable of them all. And every time you try and have a conversation that allows that misery to maybe get chipped away at a little bit, they're like, no,
1: go away, Airbud. Bud. So one thing I'm really curious about, when you go to high schools and give talks to kids, Other than the super obvious advice of, like, don't maliciously send around your ex-girlfriend's naked photos of her and, like, don't sexually assault people, what advice do you actually give to boys? Like, how do you think boys should sort of think about sexting and deal with sexting beyond, like, don't be a complete asshole?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think beyond the sort of just basic consent stuff is it's really about, I think, talking about those sort of deeper expectations and stereotypes about gender because, People who sort of tend to believe in those, um, gender stereotypes are actually more likely to commit sexual violence. There's some interesting research oh, yeah. on that is that if you, if you are strongly believing in gender stereotypes and if you believe in rape myths, you're more likely to, to perpetrate sexual violence. So yeah. I think like sort of deconstructing some of those myths of like, she was asking for it or, right. or all of those myths about rape can potentially help address some of these social problems. But I mean, I can only do this like 25 students right. at a time. Right. So, and it's only like a one hour thing. So if someone comes in with a bunch of rape myths in their head, I don't know that an hour is going to
1: fix it. Well, do you tell them, <laughs> I mean, logistically speaking, given the legal realities, do you tell them like delete her photos from your phone immediately? Because it's really, it's really hard in a situation where like these laws are such bullshit. But they yeah. also are laws. And yeah. like if you get caught in the maws of the criminal justice system, that can really derail your entire life. Oh, absolutely.
2: And we talk about that. you know. And I talk to them about the fact that if they're sexting with someone of the same gender, they're more likely to get caught uh, mm-hmm. and to get prosecuted. Ugh. If they're sexting with someone of a different race, they're more likely yeah. to get caught and prosecuted. If they're in foster care, they're more likely to get caught you know, teens are smart, right? Like we don't give teens a lot of credit, but they understand that it's illegal and that the consequences are severe, but they also understand that the odds that they're going to get prosecuted are low. So they're making a calculated risk. And it's as we all are every day, right? Like we're always making calculated risks. And I'm not going to say to them like, yeah, go ahead and sex, like you're unlikely to get prosecuted. I (laughs) I can't say that, right? Because they could be the unlucky, like gay teen that ends up, being prosecuted because yeah. his parents are homophobic and that happens all the time like, hmm. they need to be aware of the risks which is what I talked to them about but they also need I think it's helpful for them to hear someone acknowledging that like
0: I understand there are benefits yeah well I, I guess I mean to kind of to make my earlier how does why does patriarchy exist question more answerable What do you think that people are afraid of about a world where teenage girls are not told, no, 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 it's bad, there's no reason to want it, it's terrible, don't? and instead are able to grow up with ideas about like, this is what feels good to me. This is what feels bad to me. I'm going to do what feels good and what makes me feel respected. Yeah. If we're so afraid of the sexually liberated teenage girl, like what do we think is going to happen if if they're allowed to feel their own sexualities and act accordingly?
2: Yeah, that is a fantastic question. The way I would look at this is I think there's, there's two things happening. One is people think that if they allow these sort of floodgates of female sexual, sexual agency to open, then there'll be no countervailing force to the sort of male sexual desire and sexual violence sort of force of nature model. Cause if we see male sexual desire and violence, which is of course like kind of a continuum as this force of nature that women and girls have to put barriers up against then if women and girls take down the barriers, then there will be like way more sexual violence. And so I think people who are afraid of this are really genuinely worried about girls becoming victims of sexual violence, because Mm -hmm. that is a real thing that happens. Of course, we don't like think about it in the right way. And we assume that it happens um, in all these sort of different like stranger type scenarios when in fact it doesn't. But we don't want to think about that. What we want to think about is what we have to protect girls. So people who are criminalizing sexting, they really believe, I think they believe that what they're doing is protecting girls from sexual violence. But I think what they're actually doing is they're just policing gender boundaries, because it's all built on this binary distinction between Mm -hmm. what female sexuality is supposed to look like it's supposed to be passive and receptive and like saying no 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 until okay maybe and male sexuality is supposed to be like you know aggressive and dominant Mm. culturally in terms of our narratives and i don't mean just in porn i mean look at any romantic comedy right like i mean everywhere
0: yeah i did a diagram of love actually recently Hmm. and like over half of the relationships in that movie are between like a man and a woman he's never spoken to essentially exactly
2: exactly (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. One gender is the agent and the other gender is the object.
0: Right. And how also if we destroy gender as a binary prison, essentially, then I think there would be less sexual assault.
2: Yeah. I mean, sexual assault is so gendered, right? Like there are male victims, Mm -hmm. of course, but almost all the perpetrators, like 98% are male. So this is not just like something that humans do to each other that just, Mm -hmm. just, just inevitable, right? Then it would be 50-50. Well, the Mm -hmm. reason
1: I think sexual violence would get reduced in a world with less rigid gender norms is that the guys would get laid more. Mm. Women wouldn't (laughs) have to be worried about having sex or being seen to want to have sex And they could actually have sex with who they wanted to. Like, I lived in Denmark for six years where they have much less rigid gender norms than we do. And like, they fuck the hell out of each other. It's incredible. (laughs) Everybody's getting laid there. There's like so many fewer incels because if a girl wants to get with a guy, she can just do it without this terrible like three layer game theory in her head of like, is he going to think I'm a (laughs) slut if I say Mm -hmm. that I want to sleep with him? Like, you don't have to make as many of those calculations. And so the women sleep with more guys and the guys get laid more and there's less pent up ridiculous, like, incel anger coursing through their veins all the time.
0: And the guys don't have to see women as, like, these pelts that they're, they're exactly. carrying yeah. as, as totems of their dominance. Yeah,
2: gender is bad for everyone.
1: It's, we just have to all keep sexting each other constantly to break down all those barriers. <laughs> just every yeah. time you text somebody, I'll be there in five. Boom. Attachment.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my advice to everyone is basically just think about consent more. So you definitely want to make sure you have the enthusiastic consent before you take a photo of anyone, obviously, before you send anyone a photo of yourself. So don't send dick pics that are
1: unsolicited. Yeah, that's an easy one. I mean, you'd think. There is no scenario in which an unsolicited dick pic is like going to improve your situation.
0: How do you solicit a dick pic verbally?
1: Sarah, we need, to, we need to get you an account on like a gay dating app. <laughs> okay. There are a number of ways it. to do that.
0: Okay, let's put a pin in that. I'm excited. <laughs> Continue, Amy.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just like consent at every every level, really. Mm-hmm. And being explicit about your the way you talk about consent. So asking mm-hmm. direct questions like, can I send you this photo? Do you want to see this photo? Can I share this photo with my friends?" Like, probably not. But if you want to do
0: it, make sure you get permission. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> we have to let you go, though, don't we, Amy? Don't you have yeah, to go? Let- yeah, we do.
0: Amy, thank you so much. You've been amazing. My boobs are yeah. so big right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha,